This is Lego Football. Hey, you're with David Freni, your Lego Football podcast host, Serie A, Serie B and football commentator. We're going to talk about the Italy under 20 FIFA World Cup side, Champions League, Serie A, Serie B, Serie C and Silvio Berlusconi. I'm joined again by Emmett Gates, the master from Forbes Sports. Emmett, tu da posto? Da posto, as I say in Naples. Is that a Forcella or Secondigliano dialect you're using there? Bit of both. My heart's uh, Secondigliano, you know. R- respect to Jenny Savistano and Ciro De Marzio. And I think the Italian under 20 side needed a bit of that street fight kind of approach to last night's final against Uruguay. They went down 1-0 at La Plata and that stadium there, the pitch was an absolute disaster. No excuses though because like we said off air both sides have to play on the same pitch and then they swap halves over so it's it's very even but Ambrosino, Pafundi, Baldanzi started up forward so uh, Carmine Nunziata the coach went with a kind of intricate diminutive kind of forward line Ambrosino there for his height he's that Gilardino Casiraghi mold up forward he's had a great tournament so has Pafundi got them there with that free kick against South Korea the death there Baldanzi two goals and a couple of assists in this tournament they started up forward Kazade running the midfield <sighs> that pitch that pitch everyone that watched the game would have been so frustrated because that kind of pitch takes away from the skill sets that both sides can go out there with and maybe it favoured Italy more to have that pitch than Uruguay because they were great on the ball they were by far the better side make no mistake uh, I'm not making excuses for the Azzurini but I think it also detracted from the Azzurini's uh, game plan because when you have a, a taller midfield obviously it's about control and timing of your passing they couldn't do that they simply couldn't do that and it was just long balls or smash over the touch line it was really frustrating to watch Emmett and yeah I really wanted to claw at the TV I'm glad I didn't do the call for flash score on that one let's talk about Kazadeh because he won the golden ball and the Golden Boot uh, winner as well. He scored seven goals in this. He, for those of you who don't know who Cesare Casade is, he went from Inter Milan to Chelsea. They loaned him out to Reading. He has a goal in championship football already. We will see if he goes back to Chelsea and does the preseason there this summer and stays there. Unlikely. Yeah, unlikely. But uh, who knows? He might go to a, another side and do really well. I don't think he'll get too many opportunities in the Chelsea midfield. Seven goals, that's the most in any international tournament of any kind by an Italian. He has surpassed Toto Schilacci of 1990, Emmett, and also Paolo Rossi of 1982. Those are heavy names you're you're mentioning, and of course it's not, you know, it's only a, I say only, it's under 20 World Cup, it's not the the, the biggest stage of them all, but yeah, I mean, you kind of, from an inter perspective, you're kind of thinking, did we make a mistake in selling them? I know they sold him a year ago, and I think Inter obviously they had financial troubles, and I think they sold him for around 13, 14 million euros. But you kind of see Inter, you know, a year on, you know, in the aftermath of the Champions League loss, final loss, which we will speak about later. But you kind of think, you know, Cassidy, considering his performances in this tournament, he's probably the type of player that Inter. You know, Simone and Zaghi say, for example, if he stays on as Inter coach, Cassidy is the type of player that Inter could sh- could have and should have built the team around, you know, or slowly introduced him for the next three, four, five years and then slowly built the team around him. Oh, imagine him with Barella. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And Brozovic. Perfect or combination there. Chanalalu or, you know, whoever, whoever's remaining at Inter post this summer. You know, Cassidy could have slotted in there and he, he, he could have been the future. Obviously, you know, he's, what, 19? He, he could have sat Inter in midfield, him and Barella, for the next five, six years easy. Obviously, Inter didn't take that course. It's- and we've mentioned the word midfield a few times. 
he is a midfielder. He's not a striker like Scilacci and Rossi. Seven goals from midfield. Admittedly, he's taken a couple of penalties and brilliantly taken as well. But he now features on the top scorer list of the FIFA Under-20 World Cup list that contains Leo Messi, Sergio Aguero, Javier Saviola, uh, compatriot Ricardo Orsolini, and most recently Erling Haaland won this award before Casade. So they're all attacking midfielders or strikers, and he is not an attacking midfielder by any way of the imagination. He is a holding midfielder or perhaps a mezzala. So look, I'm sure he's got an attacking mindset because of his height and his physical presence. Uh, 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 you know, he's quite bigger than uh, other midfielders his age. But when you look at it, it is a golden boot, the golden ball. Uh, De Blanche won the uh, golden glove, uh, the Italian goalkeeper. Casade's goals, two against Brazil, a header and a penalty. The reaction header against Dominican Republic, a penalty against England to send Italy to the quarters. And that was hit like De Rossi in 2006 against France, right in the top corner. Another header against Colombia, a delightful drive from the edge of the box against South Korea. Unfortunately, he couldn't get one in the final, but great performance, really well played by all the Azzurini out there. And we've seen four or five breakout stars uh, including the likes of Giuseppe Ambrosino, Napoli owned, who played in Serie B with Como and Cittadella this season. He scored against the Dominicans. Tommaso Baldanzi, he uh, scored for 1 0 against England, and it was Ambrosino that put through the incisive assist. Uh, so they all contributed. Simone Pafundi, as we've already spoken about, that free kick, the Mihailovic Rakoba style left-footed free kick over the extended wall of South Korea. Beautiful dip uh, and the way that it crossed the back of the net. A cultured left foot, as we would say. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's why he's been compared to uh, the likes of Messi or even Maradona. They've spoken about him because he's scored that goal in Argentina. Of course, the press needs something to talk about. And <laughs> this is why Roberto Mancini has capped him. Uh, you know, the Udinese midfielder, he hasn't played much in Serie A. He's only 17. And I think he was capped at 16. So... That's the youngest player selected in a century to be capped by the Italian senior team. Many people are speaking out. Andrea Carnavale, who's currently with Udinese as a director, he said he's got Diego's left foot. Now, can you imagine that? The former Napoli striker played next to Diego. So that's a big call. I know, I know. I, I did the same thing, hands up. But, you know, in frustration, but there's only one Diego, and we'll get to that later because we saw a lot of Diego last weekend. But in the end, these are the talents coming through. Unfortunately, the midfield wasn't as strong as we'd like. Casade was there, luckily. But there was a few players that didn't go because this tournament ran into the Serie A, Serie B season. So there was a few players that didn't go because they were playing for their club still. And that was the case with a lot of the countries as well. First, let's congratulate the Azzurini on making the final. That's the first time Italy's ever made the final. They'd made the uh, semifinals twice in the last two editions. They didn't play in 2021. Should we just put a bit of blame on Federico, our uh, friend that joined us in Napoli? He's the Argentine here, and he's from La Plata. Surely they have to dish out a better field, better pitch to play on than this. Exactly. I think we, we, we won't blame the pitch uh, for Italy's defeat. I think we'll, we'll blame our friend Federico. It's his fault. He should have made sure that the grass at the stadium in La Plata was in tip-top shape. And Federico, if you're listening to this, the Azzurini defeat is on you. Yeah, and the place was invaded by Uruguayans. There wasn't one Italian in the stands. It was 40,000 Uruguayans. It's not far from Uruguay to La Plata as well. So uh, let's move on. The Imprendedore, Il Cavaliere, has passed away. Silvio Berlusconi, 86 years old, Emmett. 
and he's a bit of a colourful character. The antics, the the, the politics. <laughs> that's that's that, 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 that's put it. We're amazing. all about diplomacy here on Lego Football, aren't we, Emmett? So, <laughs> what do you think? He, I thought he was a great character for not just Italian football, but also for Italy. Of course, no one agrees with everything that he's done, but he is Silvio, grande Silvio, il cavaliere. He is the knight of. Italy, especially that region in Lombardia, is is iconic. Yeah, I mean, putting politics aside, you know, because obviously this isn't, you know, this isn't Lega politics. This is Lega football. So <laughs> Lega Nord. Lega Nord. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't Lega Nord. This is Lega football. Uh, or it's not Forza Italia. This is Lega football. So we'll we'll stick to the football matters. I mean, there's very few characters I would say in European football over the last. 30, 40 years that has influenced and shaped the game more than Berlusconi. People have come out today, you know, the likes of Carlo Ancelotti, Paolo Maldini, Alessandro Nesta, and they've all called him a visionary, you know, and, you know, among the many adjectives that have been used to describe Berlusconi. But in terms of football, he has been a bit of a visionary because he essentially created the modern Champions League. You know, um, there's a piece that Miguel Delaney wrote a few years ago for the Independent that when Maradona's Napoli were defending champions of Italy and they went into the old European Cup and they drew Real Madrid in the first round in the 87-88 season. Berlusconi was shocked that two of the biggest clubs in that season's tournament were going to go out in the first round. Like, he basically said, how could this be? This Napoli were champions of Italy, Real Madrid were the champions of Spain. It's like, one of these teams are going to go out and you're going to have lesser teams in the quarterfinals, the semifinals. We can't allow this. So that was kind of the the watershed moment where the European Cup, it took another five years, but that was the moment when the European Cup slowly morphed into the Champions League and your group stages and um, then the, the money snowballed from there and then there's obviously more clubs and basically the whole, the, the way the European game has been shaped started with Berlusconi. He was a visionary in that sense. He wanted football to be a spec. See, if, if an English team wasn't in the European Cup, but in the UK and Ireland, you, it wasn't shown on TV. Or if it did, it was shown in 20 or 30 minute highlights packages sure. at like midnight on a Wednesday. Like European football wasn't, and I'm not talking about leagues here, I'm not talking about Serie A, La Liga, whatever. It was, if you're talking a European Cup, it doesn't matter if it was a first round, quarterfinal, semi final, it wasn't live unless it was a British team in it. It was, you know, shoehorned into the late night slot on, you know, ITV or whatever um, so he, he saw that European football there was such there was so much potential and it was being underutilised and he Berlusconi saw that and obviously he had TV channels you know he had media set at that point his, his channel in, in Italy uh, Canale Cinque so he, he kind of realised look I can we can change European football and I can use my channel especially within Italy my channel can broadcast top-notch European football. And so Berlusconi, in that sense, was a visionary. And basically, he, his influence on the modern game, it, you can't underestimate his his fingerprints are everywhere all over the modern European game, for the better and the worse. You know, obviously, we, we can, me and you can deliberate all day about the, the pros and cons of the modern game and the way football has went. But it started with Berlusconi in 1987. Obviously, he had taken over Milan the year previously. And, you know, where were Milan now without Berlusconi? This is something that I tweeted earlier. Milan had really been relegated twice in the early 80s. 
by the time Berlusconi yep. had yep. arrived in 86 they were kind of floundering in mid-table Milan were a mid-table team and the likes of Baresi went down with them to Serie B yeah exactly and Maldini had broken through Milan of the mid-80s they, they were a mid-table team they were nothing more nothing better they'd been relegated twice they were kind of struggling Berlusconi came in hired Saki and that that changed everything you know so where are Milan now without the Berlusconi era? If well, Berlusconi created the Invincibles, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. He he hired Saki. He signed Van Basten, Rijkaard, Hullet. Because a lot of people forget this: that Saki was fighting against the tide in looking at you know do zonal marketing, get away from man marketing. You know, eliminated the the libro, which had been a, a staple of Italian you know football and culture for 30, 40 years at that point. Saki wanted rid of all of it. Yep. His players were very disgruntled and Berlusconi basically said, look, Saki Sten, you either get on board or you leave the club. You know, the rest, as they say, is history. So he allowed culture to be revolutionised and in turn, world football. Exactly. And he basically, by sticking by Saki, he changed everything. And Milan then went on to dominate, you know, until Real Madrid retained the European Cup in, was it 2017, 2018? You know, the last, the last team to retain the European Cup was his Milan team in 89-90. So Ber- Berlusconi, his presence or his influence, his presence and his influence in football is huge. It cannot be understated just how pivotal of a figure he has been in the football world, not just for Milan, not just for Italian football, but for European football as a whole. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. He was an alma mater at the University of Milan. He began his career in construction in the 60s. He also started his Milano Due channel, Tele Milano. Uh, he was involved with Fininvest in the 70s, going into the 80s. He kind of started getting involved after he took over Milan. He bought them. He made them into the Invincibles. Then he got into politics in the mid-90s, uh, the beginnings of his political career that sort of dragged on for 10, 15 years. And we all know his um, back and forths with the likes of Angela Merkel and the rest of it. He's got some uh, quotes that perhaps won't die off with him. Uh, they'll stay around in his memory, I think. But the way he actually became leader of Italy as well, quite impressive. I know that it's easier to do when you've got your own TV channels, but he went up against the government with Rai and uh, all their power. He, I guess, is a hero to some people that uh, like uh, private equity as well. So not just a, a ruthless capitalist. I think it's, it's easy to label people based on the, the stereotypes or the, the rumours of, of what's happened in their lives. I'm sure he wasn't the most innocent guy. We, we all know what happened with a few other things in his private life. But on a cultural level, the man was a visionary. He was somewhat of a genius, it has to be said. And I guess he used that for other things in his life. And after a sabbatical, after he sold Milan in, I think it was 2016, wasn't it, Emmett? He then came back with Monza took them from the third division and this is his legacy now is bringing his hometown up to Serie A and he's been able to leave this planet with Monza with a really credible finish in their first ever season in Serie A and to top it off and this is a good segue Inter failed to win the Champions League on the weekend in which he passed away so I guess that was his uh, one of his dying wishes. <laughs> if, he was on a, if he was on a deathbed, please Inter don't win the Champions League on the weekend that I'm going. And I guess it's fate and it worked out that way. Berlusconi, 86 years old, 
uh, riposi in pace, all the best to his family, Paolo, and, and the rest of the Berlusconi family. Condolences to everyone at Monza. Uh, I know it's a big loss to some people. Some, some people will, you know, these are public figures that we, that we sort of, you know, laugh off. Uh, politicians uh, pass away and people have always got comments. But, you know, these are real people as well. And he's done well for the community of Monza now. We've, they've got their team in Serie A and that's an inspiration for others. So he, he actually said before he died, he wanted them in Champions League. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe he can do what uh, Diego did when he passed with Napoli and, yeah. and maybe bring some good times for Monza. Well, it's interesting to see. It's in, it's in, it'd be interesting to see what happens to Monza now because obviously that was Berlusconi wanted to keep in with football and that's why he bought Monza because in a sense, he became Berlusconi become a victim of his own visions in a sense that he shifted the dynamic in football and he was... You know, because Milan broke the transfer record so many times in the 80s and 90s. They, Berlusconi was the one with all the wealth. And then the, 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 the advent of the Premier League and the Champions League money, then Berlusconi actually became the poor man of Europe in terms of, you know, you have the state-run clubs, Manchester City and PSG, I mean, Abramovich and Chelsea. Berlusconi couldn't spend the money that he once could. And the game actually ended up passing him by. The revolution that he started actually overtook him. And so he had a sell Milan to Lee Young Hung, which was a disaster for all all concerned for especially for for Milan fans. But he obviously wanted to keep in with football, and so he bought Manza and took them. He was talking about from Serie C, Serie C Uno up to Serie A with him and uh, Mister Yellow Tie himself, Adriano Galliani. <laughs> but it'll be it'll be interesting now what happens to Manza because it's obviously it's Berlusconi's plaything. You know, he obviously he couldn't bankroll Milan anymore. He didn't have that, or he wasn't allowed to spend that amount of money on a vanity project, which is what Milan yeah. was for a lot of years for him. But Monza, he could, because the finances in Serie A, especially for a team like Monza, didn't require him to put in hundreds of millions a year. Yeah, it's a project that he can build. Yeah, exactly. And so it's interesting to see now what happens to Monza post Berlusconi. You know, will Vinifest, the company that Berlusconi owned and ran, will they offload Monza or will they keep Monza on, reduce costs? You know, Monza, they may go down next year, depending on what way the outlook, you know, what way the attitude towards Monza is from Berlusconi's company. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Well, hopefully for Monza fans, they can get it together. This is going to have a huge impact on the club. He can't forget that he took over a few of the team talks. For those of you who have uh, been tuning into Instagram, some of the talks that he's put up on his own uh, Instagram profile have been um, more antics, we can call that. He was the 1991 Man of the Year. We can't take that away from him as well. So he's won the, the odd award and achievement here and there. But uh, one of the newspapers I was reading this morning referred to him as Il Cavaliere, the buccaneering Italian media tycoon and politician. And I think we can leave it there. Rest in peace, Silvio Berlusconi, and condolences to the Berlusconi family. On the internote that they didn't win on the weekend in which he's passed away, let's go to that. That's a good segue, Emmett, because you've written a piece on the Champions League and uh, more importantly, Calcio isn't exactly back, but it's uh, getting there. That's what you've said. And there's a couple of passages in there I'd like to read from 
there was uh, something interesting. You said that most believe that the 2023 Champions League final was going to be a procession, that Inter were merely turning up to be slaughtered by the relentless machine of City. Of course, in terms of wealth and the quality of the two squads, that line of thinking wasn't particularly wrong. On paper, City should have blown Inter away. Jack Grealish, just that one player, cost only £13 million, less than Inter's entire starting eleven in Istanbul. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you if you listen to the English media or English punditry or English fans, you know, ill-informed, probably had never seen Inter play except for the couple of games in this season's Champions League. You 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 would have thought that Inter was some amateur side that were just turning up to get beheaded by Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne and you know Jack Grealish and that Pep is just going to steamroll over Simone and Zaghi. For those of us, yourself included, who had watched Inter enough this season and last season knew that in one-off games they are a remarkably good side hard to break down but because of the age of the squad they're very experienced but they're not so good in the in the marathon that is a league obviously we've seen you know David Mean you've seen this year Empoli beat Inter Manza beat Inter Bologna beat Inter 12 losses you know 12 losses so that's proof in the pudding yet they've won the Coppa Italia for the second year in a row they've won two uh, Supercoppa Italianas in a row they are the ultimate cup team because in part because they were the average age I think of the Inter team is 29 it's the oldest average age in Serie A so on one off games they can turn it up but they can't do it twice a week so going into the final you if you paid it anywhere near to close attention to Inter you would know that this was not going to be a 3 4 5 Six nil slaughter, and even esteemed journalists in the UK felt that Inter were just going to rack up and get absolutely annihilated. That wasn't the case. I think by the end of that ninety minutes in Istanbul, we all probably felt, even if some of us aren't exactly Interista, you had to begrudgingly <laughs> admit that Inter were probably the better team, and yeah, created the more clear cut chances. Erling Holland never got a sniff. I, I don't think I've seen Holland play shut down by a Cherby. Yeah, he was he was marked out of the game by Acherby. Everyone was laughing at Acherby, saying that he had no chance. Yeah, exactly. And Acherby pocketed him without much of an issue, to be honest. And I think Agnelli... Yeah, Harlan had one chance in the first half. Yeah, and that was it. He never, you know, was well saved by Andre Onana. And that was it. He never really got a, much of a look in after. And I think from an Inter perspective, that type of defeat, where they come so close and they had the chances, you almost wish that... You know, if I was an Inter fan, I almost would wish, you know what, I actually wish if we had got annihilated as opposed to coming, as opposed to coming yeah. that close and actually arguably should have winning the thing. Yeah. As a, you know, rather than, you know, if they had it got turned up and, you know, smashed 5 0, then you put your hands up and say, we could beat by the better team. But Inter was a better team on the night. So th- that's that kind of defeat is more agonizing for me than get steamrolled 5-0 but yeah Inter did themselves very proud and they pushed that was the poorest I've seen Man City play for the majority of the season and when you when you consider as I wrote in the article like Jack Grealish cost 13 million less than Inter's entire team combined it shows you that you know Inter were punching massively above their weight in this final yeah they were well whether they were punching above their weight, they've got players that can go out there and do battle, in especially oh, in the yeah, game. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It, 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 but on, in terms of, of yeah, currency, it's not like yeah. Or Empoli. Yeah, in, in terms of the pound sterling, absolutely. And in the, I mean, I was interviewed before the game for an African channel on TV3 in Ghana, and they asked me my prediction. And I said, 
I, I think it might go to penalties. It, I, I always thought it was going to be closer. Of course, uh, the, even the Opta statisticians gave Inter a 25%, 26% chance of winning. In my opinion, it was 35 to 40, only because the form isn't exactly there with Manchester City because I'd done a couple of their games, including both of their games against Brentford in the Premier League this season. I'd commentated those. And, you know, Thomas Frank, the Brentford coach, goes out there with a 3-5-2. And both times he beat City. I'm not saying any team with a 3-5-2 is going to beat them, but any team that has decent players they will rattle Pep Guardiola because he, he goes out, everyone else plays a, a four-man backline and that's how he has set up his side. And he always has issues against sides that don't play with a standard 4-4-2, 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. And we saw Inter had them in the bag for a lot of that game. And even if you want to say Man City deserved it because they played slightly better, you know, if we're going to uh, get, a, get a points rating like a, a boxing match, but still... I think Inter had the better chances. Lukaku should have headed that one home at the end to send it to extra time. There were other chances in the game that could have swung it Inter's way. Rodri's goal, uh, fair play to him. He's not exactly prolific, but it was up to their, their register, their deep-lying midfielder, to hit one. You know, it rolled to him nicely on the edge of the box. And the way he steered it in at the near post, Onana never had a chance. But you think that Damian or Chalanoglu should have poked out their bum instead of uh, Chalanoglu actually nah. draws his body away from the ball. So I don't know if that's a, a visceral reaction because they're taught at training to try and get your hands away from the ball and maybe a hand was in line with his buttock or something like that. But I think Chalanoglu playing at home in Turkey, uh, you know, he's never played for a Turkish club, but he's the Turkish national team captain and he was trying to call upon the Turkish citizens to support Inter for this match. I think he, he could have had a better game, perhaps a bit of stage fright there. And uh, I don't want to blame one player because there was, you know, the big, big uh, victories are made up by very many small details. And there were so many things that could have swung the game the other way. Uh, but in the end, Inter not able to claim their fourth European Cup or uh, Champions League title. Manchester City get their first and they've done it with a big backing. They're, they're owned by the state of Qatar. And you know, they are what they are. Uh, you also wrote that it's been a bitter uh, 10 days for Italian teams in Europe, three finals and three defeats. All three finals were tightly contested. And they were both Inter and Fiorentina competing against English teams with far larger revenues. And that's true. I mean, look at West Ham. Uh, that would have a, uh, a far bigger budget than Fiorentina. The less said about the Roma Sevilla Europa League final, the better. I know your thoughts. Uh, we've spoken uh, just in private about that and uh, what a horrible final that was. And Roma have been a disaster to watch. Well, one of the worst finals I have ever watched. Yeah, that felt like it went on for three days. And they were better than Sevilla, but but Roma are shocking to watch. So whenever there's a game with Roma in it and it gets offered, I'm like, oh, I'm sick. Yeah. You said <laughs> while the Calcio is back promo video Lega Serie A produced in April was eye-rolling and very premature. This has been unquestionably a brilliant season for Italian football in Europe and in general. And it has because there were seven teams in there at the quarterfinal stage. A lot of people would have preferred to see Napoli in the final against Manchester City. And that would have been even the, the English. You know, we, we both live in, in or around London. And a lot of people want, uh, there's no Manchester City fans, not many in Manchester, let alone uh, down here. And a lot of people wanted to see Napoli go in there because they thought they had a better chance to stop Manchester City from winning the treble. Uh, on the other hand, there were plenty of English uh, listeners out there that wanted to uh, see 
an English side do as well as possible. And that's always the case. There is you know, loads of Lega uh, football pod listeners. They want that for Italian teams. In my opinion, as a Napoli supporter, I guess it's not the worst thing to happen in the year that Napoli wins the Scudetto. Uh, would have been overshadowed by Inter winning the Champions League. Not saying that I didn't want Inter to win it, but I, I'm looking at the positives and negatives here, Nerazzurri fans. So uh, Italy achieved its highest ever UEFA coefficient rating in 2022-23, surpassing Germany and Inter third by the start of next season with La Liga also in sight. So that's another positive you've written about here. Napoli winning their first league title since the days of Diego Maradona was the feel-good story across Europe this season, even here in England. Uh, everyone's sick of Manchester City and they wanted to see something different. Everyone was waiting for Arsenal to win it. And instead, Napoli's come out and, and pipped everyone for, for the attention. Um, Napoli are the fourth different winners of Serie A in the last three years. And unpredictability of the league should make it more appetizing to media broadcasters with the next cycle of domestic and foreign TV rights up for negotiation. Emmett, we pray to Diego and all the other gods up there, Mihailovic, Viali, everyone else, even Silvio, uh, please allow better negotiations to um, let, let, let's say Serie procure something better in terms of some budgets for these teams to, to get a bit better, to invest in their youth academies a little bit more and maybe a couple more million here and there to, to get other players in uh, or at least to compete because another thing you tweeted yeah. out this uh, weekend was, you know, imagine, what was your tweet again? It was imagine... Imagine how good Italian sides would be yeah. if, if they weren't all yeah, broke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then I retweeted <laughs> that and I put, uh, on the flip side, imagine how poor English teams would be with the budgets of Italian teams. And, you know, it's, it's not that we're complaining that England has more money. We're not taking anything away from the FA and, and Premier League and what they've done. They've done very, very good work. But there is a difference in wealth. <laughs> to say the least yeah ex exactly and I think it's 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 obviously my main point was that like you saw Inter Inter in that final were remarkable like Simone Inzaghi coached Inter remarkably well you can see that a game plan they stuck to it they nullified City they had the better chances they could have scored that was all with arguably in some positions lesser players less money spent that was clearly all Inzaghi's coaching that was his team his backroom staff they were coached you saw with Fiorentina getting to the final against West Ham. You know, West Ham spent more on signing Lucas Pacata and Gianluca Scamacca than Fiorentina, you know, between those two players than Fiorentina have spent in the last four years combined. Like, Premier League sides, through, you know, the marketing genius that is the Premier League, we have to throw our hats up and say, you know, we're not talking about City, we're not talking about Bramwich, but the league as a whole has marketed itself unbelievably well like it's the best in the world when it comes to selling a product which is something that Syria as we've talked about before is late years behind so the money oh, yeah. generated like if you look at Deloitte's football money league which is published at the beginning of every January of the year basically you'll get 16, 17 at least 15 Premier League clubs in the top 20 more or less not far off it maybe 13, 14 you know, you'll maybe get three Italians, sometimes four, depending if they've a good run in the Champions League. You know, the two Spanish, you'll have Bayern, PSG. But the predominantly English clubs, the league has run so well. The media rights, you know, what they earn from broadcasting is enormous. They deserve all the products for running their league well, selling the product well, bringing in viewers, and therefore demanding more money. But if, as you said, if you flipped it, if you give English sides the type of money that Serie A teams have, they're not. They're simply not as well coached. 
you know, Pep Guardiola would not be at City if there was a money. Oh, they wouldn't Pep have would any. Not be at Liverpool. Exactly. And they would, English clubs, if you flipped it, English clubs would probably perform like they did in the 90s because the level of coaching yeah, here simply isn't as good as the level of coaching in Italy. That's just the way it is. Covigiano was the best coaching school in the world. I don't think it's a big statement to say they'd be down there with, with the Eredivisie or even the Portuguese Primera because they have the limited resources that I think uh, a lot of countries would have if they, you know, they were working with these budgets. Yeah, exactly. And my point just was, if Italy had the money that they had in the 90s, you would probably see a repeat of the 90s now because the coaching is already, for me, the best in the world. You just need the more money to sign better players who can better utilise the tactical schemes, the, the tactical legwork that the coaches set out. Like, imagine if Simone and Zaghi had maybe three of Man City's players. That game would have went in yeah. there, without question. I, oh, I, yeah. I you know, Easy. I believe because... Italian coaches are just simply better. It's, it's, was the best training, training school in the world. Well, this is why England brings in a lot of foreign talent in terms of uh, not just coaches, but backroom staff and the rest of it. And I'm not trying to, you know, slam and, and spit on English football here because in, in their defence, back in the 80s and 90s, when they were stopped from even competing in European competitions, that would have affected their revenue. Italy would have taken the opportunity to get ahead, but they also had the infrastructure through uh, good coaches being brought up on home soil. It was pre-Bosman. There were eight players in a side that were Italian. Uh, In the English league, there were eight players that had to be English and every league was like that. So it was a different period. And I understand Italy had an advantage, even in terms of money back then, for certain teams. A lot of the smaller teams didn't have the money, but I think the big three definitely did. But in saying that, the English big three back then did as well. You rounded off your article by saying that the Italian game has shown that it can go toe-to-toe with teams possessing a much bigger budget and without financial restrictions this season. Uh, the onus now is on Lega Serie A and the Italian government to help its teams prosper rather than hinder in the coming months and years. Calcio isn't fully back, but it's getting there. I think you've rounded that off superbly, Emmett. And that article is available on Forbes.com. Look up Emmett Gates. We'll put the link to this article in the show notes of this pods. Let's talk the Serie A player. Spezia is down. Verona is saved. Unbelievable. Considering their season, they hadn't been out of the, the bottom three, I don't think, since the first few weeks of the season. If you're a Spezia fan waking up this morning, you would feel very hard done by. Spezia were safe. I don't know why the, the play the player as they call it. I don't even know why it was brought up because if I remember rightly, Spatsy actually had the batter of Verona in the head-to-heads, which was generally usually the case. They did, yeah. They, they beat them away. Yeah, the way it's working from this season on is that if both 17th and 18th finish on equal points, there will be a play-out previous to that. It went on head-to-head. As you said, Verona were in the bottom three all season, more or less. I'd say for the vast majority of the season, they were in the bottom three and yet they're up and Spatsy are down. So you do you do have some sympathy for Spezia fans. Yeah. And can you believe that in the final, I think it was 14 games of the season, the only two wins that Spezia got was a 2-1 win at home to Inter and then the 2-0 home win over Milan. <laughs> can you believe that? They lost to everyone else or drawn at best with a couple of nil-nils here. They drew away to Sampdoria. The only time they got three points in a game since the beginning of March, I think it was. Actually, it could even be January. The last time they won away was against Torino. I mean, the only two wins they had is Inter and Milan, but they couldn't get any points against the likes of Jomondas, Cremonese. They lost 2-0 away 
in May there, and that is essentially what's what's led them into this trap of the relegation playoff, as uh, some people refer to it. Some people will know it as the playout. That's the Italian term for it. But in their place, it is Cagliari who have defeated Bardi. Unbelievable drama at the end of that match at the San Nicola. Not even San Nicola himself could uh, <laughs> rescue Bardi from that. They they hit the the post through Folaruncio during the game. Caprile, the Bari keeper, had an absolute blinder. It looked for all money that Bardi were back, Emmett. Unbelievable. Exactly. And as someone who lived in Puglia for eight or nine months and lived in a, in a town that was only 20 minutes away from Bari, my heart kind of wanted Bari to go up for several reasons. One, because they're a big city and we like to see the big teams from the big cities in Serie A. And two, Bari haven't been up since 2011. So it's always nice to see, you know, sleeping giants get back up to Serie A. And thirdly, with Lecce in Serie A and for another season, it would have been great to see have the Derby della Pugliese next season in Serie A. But it wasn't to be, you know, and you want to see San Nicola in all its glory in Serie A, one of the, the great white elephant stadiums of uh, of Italian football, back <laughs> in enjoying Serie A football, you know, top-level football again. But it wasn't to be, and as you said, they, they smashed the post with a great effort, and you, yeah, you're happy for Claudio. I mean, you, you have to, there has to be something wrong with you if you don't like Claudio Ranieri, one of the great gentlemen, yeah. the great misters of the Italian game, and to see him in, in tears, you know, more than 30 years after he brought Cagliari up the first time, he's re- he's done the same again. Yeah. You know, 33, The numerology this season, the number 33, still that number there is just being ever-present. It is everywhere. But King Claudio, what a mission he took that club on. The way he's gelled the side, Lapadula with over 20 goals for the season as well in Serie B. And I always thought that Cagliari would be the favourite once Venezia were the other dark horse for me in the playoffs. Bardi could have got through with a nil-nil last night, even though the, the aggregate score would have been 1-1. And again, I will clarify, the Serie B rules in the playoffs give the higher-ranked side the benefit. It, it gives it puts the onus on the lower-ranked side to beat them on aggregate, and the higher-ranked side can simply draw. Two nil-nil draws would have seen Bari through to Serie A, but Cagliari devastating up front and we saw with big Pavoletti coming on Pavoletti. and sealing it in the 94th minute incredible yeah exactly you know uh, we were watching the game on, on Mola TV and you kind of thought about a minute left two minutes left yeah Barry's got this Barry's you know I was almost cracking open a beer for, in celebration of Barry to see them back yeah up. you were texting me saying oh, I hope Barry can hang on yeah. next thing Pavoletti put that ball it was literally three seconds later yeah and then it was like just silence like the San Nicola 58,000 people Silent, you're like, ah, oh, and there's no chance now. Like, there's no chance of them getting getting the the goal that they needed. You know, the equalizer to, to send them up. Um, but you you just hope that this Barry team stays together and can go for you know they can go for first or second next season and go straight up again or not straight up again, but they can bounce back, keep the team together, and just go up in the automatic places and on a lot of the playoffs. Don't worry about. But uh, yeah, again, like for for Cagliari and Claudio. You know, I, I like Calgary because they're a progressive club and they're trying to build their own arena, like a proper stadium. And I think uh, I was reading yesterday that promotion is w- w- would have been worth twenty five million in TV money to either team. So Calgary getting that extra twenty five million, you hope maybe some of it will go towards 
you know the stadium development and um, that, that helped help the project along. Hopefully, but I mean, you've watched a lot more of Cagliari than I have. Do you think that they can stay up, or do you think they'll be straight back down? No, not with this side. But they've still got a couple of core players. Nandez is there. Goldeniga. I mean, look, some of these players didn't even play much through the, the playoffs. They're, they've got a, a deeper squad than some of the others. I think if they were lacking up forward, they didn't have Lapadula banging all those goals. They wouldn't have even made the playoffs. So. They need to invest in the summer, undoubtedly. There will be a few of the, you know, the flesh off the corpses of the other three that have gone down to, to pick off. And there's some other great players that are leaving Serie B to go and play Serie C. You know, the, the likes of Acampora with Benevento. He's a player to snap up. He's great in the midfield. So there are players to, to bring in that will leave other leagues uh, with uh, from their sides being relegated. In saying that... Uh, there's a couple of conspiracy theories out about Bari going down, and one is that the De Laurentiis family didn't want them to come up, so they didn't have to sell them. That that wouldn't surprise me because it would have put De Laurentiis in a tough spot. You know, what does he do? Does he sell Napoli? And and saying that, from from a business perspective, there's no better time to sell Napoli than now. Like he, De Laurentiis could probably name his price, considering A, Napoli are debt free, B, they're champions of Italy. The mass exodus, Spalletti leaving, then they might sell someone like Kim. And God forbid, Victor or, or Kavicha, but then the De Laurentiis is selling up. Uh, unbelievable. But look, I think Bari would have been nice to see them up. Poor old Jeremy Bowling. I interviewed him last week. He's a massive Bari fan. He's known as um, FC Bari Brit on Twitter. Uh, commiserations, Jeremy. Unbelievable. It would have been, I mean, the atmosphere was incredible. I saw all his tweets pre game, uh, all the videos for hours and hours before the game. It was an incredible atmosphere. The, the red and white, the Biancorossi, absolutely everywhere. It was similar to our trip to Naples last weekend to see the uh, festa of the trophy lifting at the Maradona. Uh, Emmett, you joined me in Naples along with uh, Andrea and Federico, the Argentinian. He's a, an Inter supporter, but he, he joined us because he's, you know, he's got that uh, warm kind of... It's, it's in his blood, Diego's, through every Argentinian. So... It was his first time in Naples. He got to see just how insane and dogmatic they are when it comes to Diego. Uh, took him through the Spanish corner. We stayed there for, for a few nights. Uh, got a few spritzes in yourself as well, Emmett. Me? I don't like spritz. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. You, you hate pizza as well. I think I think your record, Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a record that'll be tough to break. <laughs> I think you did, was it four in five four, meals? Four pizzas in three days. Yeah, yeah. Four pizzas in three days. Yeah, and you you love your um, tomato base with the with the with the buffalo. But uh, getting back to the football, what did you think of the weekend? It was immense. Uh, I loved it. I- yeah, it was fu- it was fantastic. It was um, obviously you you were in the stadium, and you know we were outside in the <laughs> outside the stadio Diego Armando Maradona. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, I was trying to get you in, <laughs> but I know it was fantastic. Trying to pass you off as a, uh, I know. Uh, to be in the commentary with me there. But a special thanks going out to Napoli as well for granting me the the press accreditation to be in there. Met some fabulous people from Argentina and Nigeria as well. I've interviewed those guys in there uh, in the previous pod to this one. Immense. We've also put up the full movie of our Maradona Morales tour from last October. Finally, I got round to finishing it off and narrating it and the rest of it. It's been a busy season. I've done over a hundred games, so. Yeah, that'll be up on the YouTube channel. We've also got another one coming from the weekend that's just gone, the celebrations in Naples. So we'll be putting that together soon. This week, Emmett, is the Nations League. And we'll just talk quickly about the Italian squad. Donnarumma met at Vicario. I love Vicario being selected. I really hope he gets a game. They're going to take on Spain 
in the UEFA Nations League semi-final. Then if they obviously get past that, they play in the final. Echerby, I guess, you know, it was already pre-selected before the Champions League final, but based on his form there against Erling Haaland, it's not a bad thing to have him in the sides. He might be up against someone like Morata. Bastoni, Bonucci, Damian, Di Lorenzo, Capitano, Napoli. Uh, Di Marco, good form. Spinazzola's there. Toloi in the midfield. Barella, Cristante, Fratesi, Jorginho, Pellegrini, Verratti, Zagnolo. Up forward, Chiesa, Nyonto, Immobile. Raspadori and Retegui is back. The Argentinian. Any names you think there that probably shouldn't be there? Zagnolo and is an interesting inclusion. I don't see... Zakanyi's name in there because I think many believe that they were going to be in there together. I wouldn't say there's many great surprises. Um, I would like to have seen, you know, Mancini maybe be a bit more adventurous in his, his selection. But yeah, I, I think he's trying. He's trying to basically stick to the tried and tested. You know, the, the players that he knows. Which I mean, the Nations League. It's to me. It, this is when you should experiment. Yeah. You know, and try. You know, bring in some youngsters. Um, maybe even you know maybe it's it's too soon but even like Cassidy why not bring him in at least bring him into the squad have him train with the seniors he mightn't get on but you know it's an experience that'll it'll serve him well obviously I know he's not the side of the world obviously in in South America for the the under 20 World Cup but yeah it's just the names are just like ah, I think Roberto Mancini has brought in a couple of young players before we've seen Simone Pafundi who's just played with the under 20s in Argentina in the World Cup he was brought in for a bit of experience at the age of 16, but this is a semi-final, Emmett, so I guess there's something on the line to play in a final and maybe get some of these players uh, into that mindset with the Euros coming up next year already, 2024. So that's going to be another kind of occasion to, to get out and about in, in Germany, I believe it is, Emmett. So that'll be something for us to do, I guess, in 2024. Maybe get something happening for Lego football there. I was just going to say, Lego football, uh, the Euros podcast, or we'll do a video series following Italy around the Euros next year in Germany if they get there. Yeah, also the Euros for the under-21s is happening this summer in 2023. Women's World Cup coming up as well in Australia. My homeland. G'day, everyone. Uh, G'day, Frank. Risorto as well. (laughs) (laughs) From the TGU podcast, Gentleman Ultra. Which we will get round to doing one of those soon, Emmett. Yeah, soon. I think we've covered absolutely everything. I'll be on the flash score comms for Spain, Italy in the semi-final of the UEFA Nations League. Emmett Gates, Forbes, you've been everywhere. Guardian, TGU, absolutely everywhere. Thank you for joining me once again to discuss Calcio. Pleasure, buddy, as always. Calcio was back. Calcio is finished for, for, for the season yeah. and uh, we've got the summer coming up so we'll get you back on again I'm sure yeah we can, we can talk transfers transfers City Chi playoff coming up it's Leco Foggia that's a, a two-legged affair that's the final one of those sides is coming up to Serie B Leco or Foggia the old uh, uh, who used to play at Foggia Signori uh, we used to have Stroppa you know some of these vintage Zanic Zaman yeah yeah he's still around Foggia years yeah Pescara and the rest of it they got knocked out in on the way to the Serie playoff final but once again Emmett Gates you can find him at Emmett Gates on Twitter he's through all the socials as well I'm David Freeney your Lego football host and you can follow me on Twitter and my socials at David Freeney underscore also at Lega Football. Ci sentiamo, guai This is Lega Football.